comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. is out now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is Abe. Hey, guys. How are we doing? Not too bad. All right. Out Now is a film podcast which has Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. We also bring in a little discussion about the latest movie trailers, box office results and predictions, a retro review that has to do with the main film of the week, games, and other fun stuff. This week's episode is episode 37, and the main movie of the week is The Descendant, the new Alexander Payne film starring George Clooney. And um, helping us to discuss The Descendants is Mark Johnson. Good afternoon, everyone. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. And um, also, because of Mark's... Well, he writes for, he writes for awardcontenders.com, and uh, we decided that we're going to do a little, little awards talk tonight, just kind of... Give our thoughts on maybe some possible predictions and the, uh, you know, the contenders coming this award season since there's so many, you know, all the, the big prestige films are coming out these days. So we'll see how that goes, too. few announcements. Let's see. iTunes reviews and ratings. Always, always nice to get some of those. Feel free. Takes a couple seconds, maybe. Be awesome to help promote the show. But yeah, um, bigger announcement. Contest winners. We, um, we had a little contest in the past two weeks that, that was very Muppet related. And uh, it was incredibly simple. All you had to do was post the picture of your favorite Muppet on our wall and write off the uh, your favorite art house indie movie that came out over the past year. And uh, we have winners. The three out of our you know ten fans actually came in on our Facebook page and uh, <laughs> <laughs> they they responded. They're so the we, true fans. We love them the most. The true fans, <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, Abe, you want to read those names? I guess. Why, yes, yes, I do. Our first winner is Joe Jans. And Joe picked Animal as his favorite Muppet and Kevin Smith's Red State as his uh, favorite indie movie from the, the last year. So congratulations, Joe. And our second winner is Jennifer Polford. And Jennifer picked uh, Kermit the Frog as her favorite Muppet and favorite limited release film was Casino Jack. And our last winner with drumroll is Colin Cronin. And Colin picked one of the most obscure ones, but I liked it. His favorite Muppet was the Christmas Turkey from <laughs> Muppet Family Christmas. And his, his uh, favorite, uh, that's pretty good. And he has a picture and everything, so it's awesome. That, that, funny, favorite, uh, that turkey yeah. is such a hipster. It is, a hipster turkey. <laughs> and his favorite indie film was uh, Midnight in Paris. So, you know, good good picks all around. Yeah. I'm happy with all this. And I'm happy with all these Muppet pictures we have. <laughs> So congratulations uh, to all our winners, and you'll yeah. be getting prizes. Oh, oh, let me soon. let me say that too. I found some awesome prizes right now, like awesome prizes. So I will, I will be alerting our winners of that they won, and you know we'll figure out how to how to get those out to them. But there are some awesome prizes in store for them. I, I was quite happy to find these items, <laughs> and so there you go. Um, okay, so with that underway. Let's uh, 
Let's uh, let's do a little uh, know everybody, where we try to set the tone of the podcast by asking each other a few few easy questions here. So uh, I'll start, and um, I'm gonna go with uh, Abe. Mm-hmm. Abe, sure. Where do you prefer Clooney? Suave in Vegas or chillin' in Hawaii? <laughs> That's a tough one because he he plays both so well. But I would go with Suave in Vegas because he's so suave. I can't describe how suave he is. It's almost as if he uses the shampoo suave. So suave in Vegas. He's just really cool, actually, as as a uh, Daniel Ocean, and um, yeah, that was a, that was an awesome movie. So he uses he's a suave shampoo and uh, Daniel Ocean. <laughs> I didn't even think to make that joke, but that was, that was a cool one. <laughs> so yeah, I'll go with uh, Clooney in, in Vegas there. Mark Johnson. Has George Clooney moved into the list of actors that can voice nature documentaries like Morgan Freeman and Sir Richard Attenborough? Oh, yeah, I, th- I think absolutely. I think, doesn't he doesn't he sell Chevy commercials now? Like, doesn't he work for Chevy? If he can sell, if he can sell Chevy, he probably could uh, narrate a nature video. I would, yeah, I would, I would go, yeah. Cool. Okay, let's go, uh, we'll go with Aaron. Yeah. My uh, my question is a little more generic. What is your uh, what is your favorite George Clooney performance of all time? My favorite George Clooney performance of all time. That's a good question. Um, let's see. In terms of like like acting, like him acting in a damn, that's still tough though. But my mind like automatically goes to Michael Clayton. I really like that movie a lot, and I think Clooney's really fantastic in it. Um, in terms of just like Clooney being like freaking cool is lots of bleeping that I'm not going to see. In terms of in terms of Clooney just being just like oozing cool, just being fantastic, I love Out of Sight because Out of Sight is one of my favorite movies of all time in general, and I think he's at, even more so than than Ocean's Eleven, another Soderbergh film. I think he's absolutely at his coolest in Out of Sight, yeah. and a uh, runner up actually from Dust Till Dawn. I think he's incredibly cool as a badass from Dust Till Dawn as well. But yeah, Out, out of Sight, Michael Clayton, those movies kind of come right to mind. Um, Mark, yeah. uh, what Oscar category would you create? Wow. Um, well, for a while, I think there's been a lot of push between either like a best stunt actor award or maybe a uh, choreography award. Hmm. Uh, but I'd, I'd probably go with stunt since we have more of those for you than we do probably choreography worthy performances. So I'd go with the best stunt. Do you remember when they had that actual indic- or that award show for like the, the stuntmen? Um yeah. It's like a few years back, they had like a dedicated show, and then they gave the one of like the lifetime awards to Arnold. Wow, okay, that, no, was that just me? I'm trying. I can't. <laughs> sounds vaguely familiar. I'm trying to think of it. The uh, curious how a best stunt award would work. Would I guess would it be like an best like ensemble stunt team, or would it just be like one particular? Yeah, or or maybe the stunt actor who the one who did the stunt. Maybe I'm not sure, but there's there's always there's been a little buzz behind those two categories. I know. That seems that's like that sounds cool in general, but it's like, how would you vote for this? It's like, well, this guy clearly seemed to be in more danger than this person. <laughs> he was so in pain. He was in the hospital for three weeks. He was on fire though, and he jumped off a train and the bridge and the water. Like, <laughs> but I think that's a cool category. Yeah, it's a neat idea. I like it. Okay, Abe. Uh huh. What actor or actress currently in the running for a possible Oscar who hasn't won one yet would you like to see win? You know, I, I'd go with Christopher Plummer because we had this discussion a couple of weeks back, but I, I watched The Beginners as well, uh, or Beginners, and 
I was really moved by his performance in the beginners, so I think he's really good in the beginners, yeah. He's Yeah, and I was thinking to myself, man, like him portraying a, a gay father who is like seventy two or something with cancer. With cancer, yeah. I was I was thinking to myself, man, I I'm really sucked in. I'm really believing that he's this character and, and his son is just emotionally like bummed out about it too. It's just yeah, so uh yeah, I, I would go with Christopher Plummer. That's like the the fact that he's playing, you know, like a, a '70s gay character who has cancer, like that's such a trapping of like a, a Oscar kind of bait performance. But I think Christopher Plummer is so good in the movie, yeah. and the movies, the movie itself is is very good that I think it it kind of breaks the balance of being like a generic kind of performance to play for the sake of winning an award, and just more, it's just a real performance that's very good. So. Yeah, cool. Aaron, yeah, did you like Batman and Robin? And did George Clooney convince you that he was a multimillionaire playboy in that role? That was a two-parter. <laughs> okay, I'll say I'll say this about Batman and Robin, and I'll credit Scott Mendelson with some of these thoughts because he kind of brought this up. I, I don't hate Batman and Robin. I don't like the movie. It's not good. I don't hate it, though. But um, the, the thing about Batman and Robin is that it has a very good story at its core where Alfred is getting sick, and that's basically Batman's father figure, and he needs to find a way to deal with this, as well as usher in his new family with Robin and Batgirl. There's a good story there in terms of character development. The movie's terrible because of <laughs> its candy coating and the nipples and all that stuff and how childish it is. So if it was a darker version on that story, if like Nolan did that same story, that'd be a really good movie. That said, no, it's a bad movie. Now... Because, because, because going off of Clooney convincing me of playing a billionaire playboy, as Clooney said himself, he played Batman gay. That's how he did it. That's, what? <laughs> he's, he said that in the past. I had no he, idea. He, he basically played Batman gay. That was like his motivation in that movie. And um, you, you really kind of see that performance doesn't do much. He's not he's not a good Batman. As cool as cool as Clooney can be, he's not he's no Batman. Um, yeah, I, Bale Bale's got it down pretty well. Keaton did. Keaton is really good in the cowl. I think Val Kilmer made a good Bruce Wayne. I wish I could have seen more of Val Kilmer as Bruce Wayne. Can't do it anymore. He's like three hundred pounds now. Yeah, he could play the he could play the penguin. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Val Kilmer. I know you don't listen to the show. Friend of the show, Kyle Chandler might you know. Whoa. Pull up the cowl at some point. That'd be awesome, right? With a with a southern Texas accent. Yeah. I'd see, I'd watch that bad bad movie. Kyle Ch with friend of the show, Kyle Chandler. Cool. You like how I brought it in front of the show, Kyle Chandler? I did, yeah. <laughs> that was call. very suave. Nice, nice callback to that. <laughs> I was watching front of the show, Kyle Chandler, this week in Super 8 on Blu-ray. So, all right. So, I think is that everybody? I think so. Thanks, so. Yeah, okay. That's no everybody. And uh, now let's move on to movie trailer talk, where we discuss a couple of the latest movie trailers that are coming soon to uh, theaters. And Abe, let's start off with the trailer that you want to talk the most about. Oh, and you can go with it. I'm really excited to talk about The Pirates! Exclamation mark. Band of Misfits. This is a... Is it stop motion or is it claymation? It's... Well, it's the same thing. It's stop motion with clay figures. Yeah. Clay figures, yeah. It, it's it's a, this awesome story about these pirates who I guess get into a lot of... Mischief? Mischief. Yeah, it's actually a, a pretty cool uh, story about these these pirates that get into some mischief and they don't really seem to know what they're doing. But I'm sure that there's more to the story. This is a film. I guess this is the, the same studio. I guess that did uh, the Wallace and Gromit guys and um, Chicken Run. Chicken Run, yeah. But it's not. It doesn't have Nick Park in it, who did the original Wallace and Gromits. Um, but still, I mean, I, I'm excited for this these kinds of films. I, I liked. Um, 
Chicken Run a lot, and I liked uh, Wallace and Gromit Crystal Wear Rabbit, as well as the the one that came out after that, which is Wallace and Gromit. This one about the baker. I like this film. Uh, it's gonna be probably a lot of tongue in cheek jokes and a lot of weird humor, but I, I enjoy seeing all the hard work that they put in when they do all this uh, stop motion stuff. Apparently, in England, it's known as pirate the pirates in an adventure with scientists. Is that really what the yes. title is in England? Yeah, internationally, <laughs> it's called Pirates Band of Misfits. That's that just that's funny to me. <laughs> but yeah, it is an Ardman animation, and I'm excited for it just because the trailer was kind of charming, and even though it kind of it kind of played a lot with like um, pop culture references in a way that where I'm like I'm not usually very happy with, where because it just makes it seem dated. There's something about Ardman movies that make me just generally happy in the same way that the Muppets kind of do, where I'm just. And I just have fat, fine joy in seeing these these kind of animated characters doing stuff. And um, the cast is great here. You got Hugh Grant, Salma Hayek, Jeremy Piven, Imadel Stoughton, David Tennant, Martin Freeman. Yay for The Office. Um, <laughs> Brendan Gleeson, Ashley Jensen, Brian Bledsoe. Like, you have this great little international cast with a few random people in there. And yeah, I was yeah I, I was happy with what I saw, and I'm looking forward to it. Mark? Yeah, I think I think you guys pretty much hit it on most of it i think um the quirky humor is gonna probably throw some people off for it but it looks entertaining nonetheless i mean i'm just looking at some of these casts and who they're voicing who they're voicing is for example albino pirate surprisingly <laughs> curvaceous pirate <laughs> with gout <laughs> Start with gout. <laughs> Brandon Gleason. Brandon Gleason. <laughs> so, I'm excited. Yeah. Cool. Our um, next trailer is... That's Oral. plural. Yeah. Our next trailers are both the, the 3D re-releases of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, possibly everyone's favorite Star Wars movie, and um, <laughs> Titanic, possibly the movie that has had no hate from it since it came out. And, um, okay, those are lies, but those movies are both getting 3D re-releases next year, and I honestly, I, well, one thing, the, the, the trailer for Titanic was kind of humorous because it said, the most beloved movie of all time returns, and I was like, okay, that's a little, little braggy there. Yeah. I, I guess, it, I, I can allow it just because it's, you know, the second biggest movie of all time, but still, that's a little, little much there, but, um. I like I, I like Titanic. I think it's a solid movie, and it's you know it is the second biggest movie of all time. So I'm not alone in that thing. But um, I, I I know that James Cameron spent millions of his own money to put this movie back in the theaters, and it's not just like Fox saying, "Hey, let's put this out again." So mm. I'm excited to see what he. I mean, James Cameron's doing something in 3D, so that you know that means it's going to look pretty good. And I've seen the trailer. I've seen the trailer in 3D, and it looked like a good 3D movie. It's from the way the. Sh the way he shot that movie and, you know, seeing like the water crashing down the halls of the, of the, of the rooms inside the Titanic when it hits everything and everything's going to hell. Like, yeah, in that regard, I'm excited to see that star Wars again. It's not the best star Wars movie that there is, but I like to think that George Lucas knows how to make things look good. So I can see that in 3d and be excited, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, in regards to Titanic, the sweeping shots of the Titanic in the in the film itself when they're boarding and stuff that and those looked great already. Uh, so I'm actually curious to see how they would look with 3D. Um, and I, again, I, I'm a gung ho with Cameron on his stuff. With Lucas, uh, maybe like the like what they showed in the trailer, like the pod race scene and stuff like that. Yeah, that might look pretty cool. And maybe some of the battle scenes, but 
Yeah. It, we all know that know. all you want to see is the Trade Federation argument <laughs> inside the Senate building. With, with the giant, yeah, those giant. Actually, that would look pretty cool in 3D, though. <laughs> when you have that giant room with all the pods, like, moving around. Yeah, they're all, like, like, hovering. I disagree with you. The Gungans, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I actually just want to see Boss Nass in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, he's so huggable. Yeah. I think when it comes to Star Wars, anytime you get a any kind of excuse to get to see it on the big screen again, it's going to be worth taking. Thank you, Mark. That's that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's my main sentiment right there. Oh, you see yeah. Star Wars on the big screen. I mean, that's... right, exactly. I think I think Titanic. On the other hand, I'm actually kind of excited uh, for people to see this one again. Um, I'm I'm kind of a big fan of Titanic, uh, and I think a lot of people. I think after it won those 11 Oscars, when it, when it tied the record for 11, I think a lot of people kind of swung the other way on it and you know kind of kind of the way that award season can kind of work against a film for the people that maybe like another film like la confidential was out that year as well and i know that had a lot of fans uh so i'm kind of i'm kind of excited for people to actually get to see it again who haven't seen it since then and maybe it maybe change their mind and realize, hey, this was a pretty good movie. That's what I'd like to see too, because I think Titanic has a lot of unearned hate against it. Similar to like Avatar, actually, kind of has a lot of that hate too. Absolutely. And they're you know they're the biggest movies of all time. It's just it's just weird about that how Cameron can do. Cameron's this weird like enigma anyway, where he somehow he every time he makes a movie, it becomes the biggest movie of all time. It's ridiculous. But Titanic, I think it's a it's a it's not it's not the tightest story, and neither was Avatar for that matter in terms of. It's just this really long love story that's set against a jig tragedy, but it's a really well-made movie. Just all the de- like, just li- reading like stories about the the amount of detail and craft yeah. you put into into like the, the Titanic. Research. Just like like the uh, yeah, like he spent more time under the water examining right. Titanic than most people in the world have, and like knowing things like him building, redesigning the ship and everything, the sets. Like he like literally has like the, the type of clothing people would wear in the drawers, even though you'd never like open the drawers to see this. It just has that amount of detail and craftsmanship put into the movie. So it's like, he, he went, Oh, he went, he went overboard. Which, like, <laughs> all, the, all he needed to do to make it as accurate as possible. So here's a question as a precursor for the award segment. Did you guys agree that Avatar was, was better than The Hurt Locker, which won for Best Picture? I, I would say that um, Hurt Locker is a better movie. I would say, like, I, I think that's a, I, I would rank that as a better movie overall. But like, in terms of which movie is going to be remembered down the line for you know somewhat changing the way things happen, I think it's Avatar. There's so much more important. Yeah, it's a more. I think it's a, regardless of how good the movie is in terms of its story and its acting, the what James Cameron did to make that movie, inventing technology, the, mm-hmm. the, the technical craft, the the advent of 3D. I mean, we wouldn't have this slew of 3D movies if it wasn't for Avatar, basically. And all that care that he put into it, it's down the road, it's going to mean more for cinema, really, than, than The Hurt Locker will, as much as I really like The Hurt Locker. I think The Hurt Locker is a great movie. I think that movie is fantastic, it's, it's, especially in terms of its tension. Like, that's a great yeah. movie. And I was I was confused when Hurt Locker won the award for best screenplay in the same year as Inglorious Bastards and a couple of other nominees because the I don't think the Hurt Locker strength is its screenplay I think it's all in the editing and the the direction which is pretty fantastic but yeah I overall yeah I would say I don't know about dis any I mean that was the year when, that was the year when Inglorious Bastards came out that's the movie I was all about that year so that, but, yeah. that was that was my hope to win with Inglorious Bastards. I but thought I mean, that was God. That, I, at least for screenplay, that's what killed me when that when that when that lost best original screenplay. 
Yeah, Avatar. Avatar was never going to win Best Picture. I mean, it was a it's a, a sci-fi film. You know, the Academy they've never given a sci-fi film. Even you know, Star Wars didn't win it. And 2001 wasn't even nominated. Hmm. Uh, so you know, I think Lord of the Rings is your argument for that, though. That's, that's fantasy. That sci-fi. But... I mean, that's, yeah, it's a fantasy, I guess. But I, if we're talking pure science fiction, yeah, I don't know, I don't know if Lord of the Rings falls in that genre or not. But aside from Lord of the Rings, then. But yeah, I, I didn't. I never expected Avatar to win that year. I, I thought it might be between Bastards and uh, and Hurt Locker, but uh, Hurt Locker pretty much swept that whole season. So. Yeah, yeah, it did. Do you think that James Cameron would put in the creature from the abyss for the new Titanic 3D movie just to freak everybody out? That would be kind of amazing if, like, Kathy Bates is in the water in the rowboat and she, <laughs> and, like, and, and, and she sees like the boat lifting up and then she turns her head. She's like, "What? What in tarnation is that over there?" <laughs> and the creature from the abyss. This is like this gigantic like water specimen. It's just like what? He came up to the surface. One thing, okay. I think that the best thing in 3D for Titanic is the scene that everyone's looking forward to, and that's when the boat's like almost completely up in the air, and that one guy falls off, and he falls and falls, then he hits his <laughs> leg on the propeller, and then flips a bunch of times. Oh. That's going to be the scene you want to see. 3D. You mean you mean it's not the scene where he's painting uh, Kate Winslet? <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that picture is so three-dimensional. <laughs> it would be weird if Kate Winter just starts standing up and jiggling around. That'd be weird. <laughs> is that too lewd? That... <laughs> that <was> this show. <laughs> There's only three real fans that are listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Joe, Jennifer, and Colin. <laughs> All right, okay. Back on track. And now for our main movie review of The Descendants. Sorry to bother you, Mad King. Yeah, come to pick up my daughter, Alexandra. Alex? Dad? <laughs> What's up, Dad? <laughs> What's happening? You need to come home and see your mom. I'm the backup parent. The understudy. I thought you were supposed to be getting your act together. I've been doing really well, actually. Nobody ever seems to notice that. And with Elizabeth, my wife, in the hospital, my daughter's attesting me. Look who's here. Get out of my underwear, you freak. Oh, okay. Don't Back inside now. Real good job you're doing. We have to go through this thing together. You and Scotty and me. Dad, this is Sid. He's going to be with me. I'll be a lot more civil with him around. Sup, bro? Don't ever do that to me again. I have to go around and tell people what's happening. Family and a few close friends. I don't want to talk about mom with anyone. Look, whatever you two fought about, you have to drop it. Grow up. You really don't have a clue, do you? Dad, mom was cheating on you. All right, so that was a little bit of the trailer for The Descendants, the new Alexander Payne film director. Uh, written and directed by Payne. There's actually a couple others for that movie. Uh, I will point that out right now, actually. The Descendants was written by Alexander Payne, as well as Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, who plays the Dean on Community. I just want... Really? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, <and the> film, <laughs> yeah, that's it's awesome. The Moby lookalike, I love that. <laughs> and um, George Clooney stars as Matt King, a uh, wealthy lawyer who lives in Hawaii with his two daughters and his wife. His wife gets into a boating accident, so she goes into a coma. And uh, this basically leads to him kind of taking the reins as the head parent. So he has to look after his younger daughter, uh, Scotty, and his older daughter, Alexandra, who is at a boarding school. He kind of brings her back home so she can kind of be with her family during this time of trouble. Um, in the meantime, 
Clooney's also deliberating over whether or not to sell a piece of land that he has on Kauai. His family, he's a pag- he's actually a descendant of one of the last white landowners for Hawaii, and he's basically put in charge of making the decision of whether or not to sell this land that he has in Kauai that will kind of affect his family's profits as well as the state of Hawaii. So he's kind of dealing back and forth with a lot of the family troubles as well as this land deal, and one of the big family troubles he has is that he finds out his wife was actually cheating on him, and that makes things a bit more difficult. So, with all that said, let's start with Mark. Mark, what did you think of The Descendants? Oh, I, I was I was a big fan. I, I liked it a lot. Clooney's Clooney's absolutely awesome in it. Uh, he's not the regular Clooney that most people are used to with his you know charming uh, personality. He's more of a fragile, vulnerable man who's you know going through all these life changing decisions that he has to make with you know with the land, his wife, his daughter. Um, it's very touching, very funny at the same time. Movie. I think uh, I think a lot of people are going to enjoy this one this year. Cool. Abe? Yeah, this is a solid movie uh, all around on all points. Direction, acting, uh, script, everything. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really thought that Clooney played it very well. I mean, I was really believing that he was this Hawaiian lawyer who has to take care of his daughters during this time of uh, hardship. Um, I also liked his voiceover work uh, during a lot of the segments, hence my question about is he among those stars now that can do that. Um, and he should, probably should do that. Uh, I, I'd listen to any documentary. Overall, I mean, everything was well played. I mean, there was, you know, the, the part about the affair was well played. It wasn't overly, you know, taken, it didn't take a large chunk of the film. Um, and also, um, the wife, I mean, that, that part was really well played because there's a lot of uh, characters that have to interact with that, which is to say that, you know, the, the wife's uh, parents and then the wife's, uh, you know, family and everything else. And the way that Clooney has to do some monologues, uh, I guess, with his wife, um, that was well done, you know. I mean, there's there's bursts of anger that you feel are there, and there's just a lot of sorrow that you feel is there. And um, kudos to uh, Scotty, uh, the actress who played Scotty. She was awesome. I, I really liked her. Um, and, uh, again, all around, solid effort. And this is a very good film. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, I think I think it's a very good movie. I don't think I'm quite as warm on it as you guys. That said, I really, mm. I, I, th- <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a very good movie. I think Clooney in particular does a, a great job of not playing cool at all. He plays decidedly uncool as kind of the dad character. Just he plays he plays the dad, and he's got responsibilities and troubles you can't just you know play it play it smooth and you know get through things based on his charm and with with that in mind that's why i think this is one of clooney's best performances just because he's you know he's trying something different it would seem like he's not you know going on the clooney role that he could kind of play in his sleep which is not a bad thing i like george clooney a lot but uh i i like i like the way that he kind of mixed up mixed it up with his form with his performance this time around i think the movie itself is very it's very strongly written and well acted in terms of all the supporting characters that's what i admired most about this movie you have like it's like his um his young his daughter alexandra played by shailene woodley i think she's very good in this movie especially towards like the opening where she you know has all this kind of drama before she kind of sits in the more in the background for all these other characters to come in and you have people like uh, Bo bridges as his uncle who's uh he's kind of he's neat in a way where he 
he's not trying to play the villain, but he can if he wants to, kind of because he has that kind of laid-back tone to him. This is actually this is the movie that I most recognize Bill Bridges as being Jeff Bridges's brother. I never really thought I never really thought about that until I watched this movie. It's like he does seem a lot like Jeff Bridges. <laughs> I was gonna ask you a question. I was like, do you think that they're trying to get Jeff Bridges? Because Bridges, <laughs> Bridges, yeah, they're like, I guess I'll just go for Bo. <laughs> but uh. Yeah, he's he's quite good. Um, I think Robert Forrester is really good as the father-in-law because I like Robert yeah. Forrester a lot. But I, I liked what he had to do with this. Um, I like the um, the kind of the friend boyfriend character to Alexandra. Um, Sid. Sid. Yeah. yeah. I like especially I like how as character developed. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. That's how, I mean because he he comes off a very particular way when he's first introduced, but then you learn a lot more about him as the movie goes on, and that's what I admire most about this movie. Once again, I think it's the writing and these performances. I think the the way it evolves these different characters as it goes on, it works quite well. Mm-hmm. The uh, the the uh, the main problem I see in the movie, and it's not like much as a problem. It's just. It's it's not a movie I'd feel like I want to revisit anytime soon. Like I liked seeing it the first time and really? I was happy. Uh, yeah, I, was, I Alexander Payne who's done um, Election and Sideways. Those are movies that I would I like to revisit. I liked especially Election. That's my, still my favorite movie of his. And I think there's something about kind of I guess the wit and the dark some of the darker comedy elements involved in those movies that kind of keep me coming back. This one's very it's very straightforward. I think there's. To, this is to me. If you guys, if you guys can interject if you want to, but this is like this. To to me, it just it felt like it. I, I saw I saw what this movie was doing. I watched it. I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed the performances. But after that, it was like, well, there's not, there wasn't much to, for me to really want to continue to gra- think about more after I saw it. Hmm. I, I see what you mean there. I mean, it's almost like who really wants to watch the Will Will Rider twice, right? So. Uh... <laughs> It was a good movie, but yeah, it's kind of just emotionally draining sometimes. But, That's a random pull, but I like that because <laughs> The Wheel Rider is a fantastic movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's fantastic. But at the same time, you're like, wow, that is, man, that, that's a lot of non-tears that men shed. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, yeah, I could see how you wouldn't want to see it compared to the other films that you mentioned, like, I guess, multiple times. But I still think that it's a movie that, personally, I would... I wouldn't mind watching it, you know, multiple times or owning it because it's it's really well written, like what you said. And I, about that, will about the the well written stuff. It, it's it closes each character out so that you know what goes on afterward. You know what I mean? Uh, where they didn't have to revisit um, the father in law, uh, or they didn't have to revisit um, Sid. You know, he's kind of like this goofball douche in the beginning, and then they they have the a tender they have tender moments with him and you know, you get to know him, but they didn't have to do any of that. But I mean, I think that they, they had a scope and vision that was wide enough and also very minute enough to say, okay, Hey, you know, we've got to do all these things with these characters and it really works out. I mean, you know, even as, as much as she is not in the movie, the wife, you know, she's basically just uh, a, a body in this movie. I mean, they, she has a lot of things that she has to close out as well. And so I, I was, I was happy that they took those, kind of things into account in writing this film. I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think it, I think it's one of those movies that's, that has a nice message with it, too, though, um, about holding people closest to us mm-hmm. while we have the time we have with them. You know, because it also, it also has a message of letting go when, uh, when that moment. Also, I think this is, like, the first film Matthew Lillard has done since, like, Wing Commander. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many films Matthew Lillard stars in every year. <laughs> really? I haven't looked up his page, but but I, I probably would be surprised. I, I will say that I, I liked Matthew Lillard in this movie quite a bit. I, it's, I, 
I mean, that's what happens when you, you know, get quality and you're forgetting Scooby-Doo. That's number I'm referencing. Scooby. But, um, <laughs> but um, I, 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 <laughs> I think uh, we also, we also should mention Judy Greer. He's, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, without refer, without specifically saying who these characters play, I, yeah, I think they're both quite good in the, in this movie. Also, I'd like to say that this is probably like a, a win for the state of Hawaii. Um, not in terms of oh wow yeah it's a great place to like have a vacation or whatever they get into it pretty early it's like it's not all fun and dreams it's it's actually just a normal city or a normal state and um but i think that i don't know how how true or historically accurate these i'm sure that they're not historically accurate but i'm sure that you know there's a lot of pride that can be put in, in terms of yeah you know we did have uh, a queen and she had her descendants and you know this is not something that we put our official stamp of approval on but it's cool just to have you know, more knowledge about the state of Hawaii through this film. And I think that's a win, you know. I, I did like how the way it approached what the term the descendants was referring to. Right. I, I was I was curious what that was going to mean when I watched right. this movie. And it's like, oh, that's actually pretty clever. That's I I like that that plot line that was going through the film. And the the movie looks very good. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, it's not in the way where it's just like, hey, this is just a this is just an excuse for us to film in Hawaii. I think it does, and even George Clooney kind of mentions that in his narration at the beginning, where he's just kind of, he kind of talks about, it's like, people think that we just go to Hawaii to, to kick back and relax. He's like, no, we got we got problems. You guys suck. But um, the <laughs> way, the way... exactly that. that. Yeah, that's, yeah. I I made it better, actually, in that dialogue. But, um, but yeah, the way the movie shot, shoots in Hawaii and how it looks very it's very good without being overly showy of like look how great hawaii looks it's just like no the movie's set in hawaii and it happens to look very good but i yeah i think the the yeah the, the cinematography of this film is quite it's it's quite great at times the way the, some shots are set up how you see a lot of the the scenery and what have you mm-hmm. the music in this film um well it's very nice hawaiian music it's uh <laughs> I, I i got the soundtrack just because it was so relaxing and i've been writing to it a lot since then because it's it's a quite a it's quite a nice thing to just kind of put on and kick back to yeah i agree yeah i mean it was it was really relaxing and it uh I, i'm pretty sure that none of them were really wide known artists so i'm glad that they're getting some credit and uh getting some awesome music out there from from their perspective I want to get angry emails talked from people that listen to our show in Hawaii saying, how do you not know something, 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 Olave? Yeah, no, it gave, it gave it a nice authentic feel, too, to the, to the Hawaiian background. For sure. It's a nice movie. Uh, I don't know how wide it's going to be super released. Uh, it's going to release wider and wider, actually. Well, we can talk about that a little bit in the box office segment, actually, but... Uh... Yeah, it's 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 spreading around to theaters. It's not a it's not a huge release right now. Like it's but it's it's got a lot and yeah. it's it's making it's making a lot compared to Alexander Payne's other movies right now. I'll say that. Hmm. So, people will go see Clooney. Yeah, exactly. And, and they'll realize that he he unless he was directed to run awkwardly, he runs awkwardly. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> part of like that's that that's the epitome of why Clooney's not cool in this movie. It's just because <laughs> of how he runs. It's like he wow. runs loafers. Yeah. Like it, it seems like he's trying to not be cool just to, <laughs> in, based on that running alone that he does in this movie. Uh, okay, here's a question: Would you consider this a comedy drama or a how would you, what what genre would you put this movie into? That's, I would definitely say, if anything, it's a drama first. Mm-hmm. It's a drama that has comedic moments, so. I guess a dramedy. We're gonna go there. 
Yeah, I hate that term, but <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I would, yeah, I would definitely say it's a drama straight up, and then yeah. there's comedic elements in it, opposed to a comedy drama or you know a mix of the two. I think there are funny moments in this movie, but I definitely think it it leans heavily on when you have Clooney crying, that means it's a drama, right? That's that's where you go. Yeah, I, I would say it's a drama as well. I mean, there are. Maybe some funny elements to it, but I think that's just to, to alleviate some of the more serious stuff that goes on. Um, yeah, and Clooney crying, that was like, I was wondering if he was going to do that in the film. And I was like, wow, he chose the perfect time. It's like, and Yeah, again, that rings to how true I think the performance is. I think right. He's, I think he's very good in this movie, and I'm not, I, I won't be surprised when he gets nominated for an Oscar. If not, you know, wins for a best leading Oscar. I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot of good performances going around this year, and we'll get to that later on. But I think Clooney is... Very good. So. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, uh, let's see. I think we've talked enough about the Descendants, enough to give it a rating here. So uh, each week we try to try to get a, a rating that goes kind of when you should go and see this movie. And on that scale, we have IMAX, theater, dollar theater, Netflix, HBO, TV, or just kind of forget about it. So, uh, Mark, where would you put this on that scale? Okay, so IMAX would be like an, a, a must-see right Yeah, away. like yeah, you got to yeah, go out and spend as yeah, much money I- as you can to go see it. I'd go IMAX. I think I think it's one of the best of the year so far. Cool, Abe. Um, I'd say theater, but don't go into it like jazz. You know, it's a it's it's a subtle movie. It's a subtle thing, but it's right. a very good movie. But don't go and be like, oh man, I heard that George Clooney's great in it. It's like, yeah, he is. But don't go in like thinking that you're gonna be coming out feeling great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, basically, I agree right with you, Wave. I think it's a solid theater movie. It's very much a it's a low key drama with comedic elements, and so right. it's not a movie that you're like you should be you're not, you're not going to see Clooney steal money from Andy Garcia again. <laughs> for the fourth time. For the fourth time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, I think yeah. So overall, you know, we all like this movie quite a bit. So there you go. And um, on that note, we're gonna take a small break, and uh, you know. Just, just rest it. We've been talking a little while, so we'll, we'll be back in a little bit. office talk each time each week we go over the box office totals for the week and find out if our previous predictions were anywhere near the uh, correct total so last week since nothing new in wide release came out this week we tried to uh, ref- uh, what the muppets might make yeah. this the second weekend and um last week i believe uh let's see we had uh we had matt dunbar predicted 19 million mark hoban predicted 20 million i predicted 22 million a would you would you come I think up i said with? did i say 18 you said 18, yeah. And um, 
Yeah, we uh, there was a bit of a drop this week. Not not as high as we expecting at all, mm. really. The uh, Muppets came in second place behind Twilight once again. Twilight pulled in sixteen million, mm-hmm. sixteen point nine. The Muppets came in at eleven point two million, which mm. is quite sharper than anyone really was really predicting, especially given the fantastic word of mouth and ratings that it, you know it had. Yeah. But uh, how did Hugo do? I'm about to tell you, you should be happy with this. Hugo actually moved up to third place this week because it, it, it expanded to more theaters, and it also helps that. Mark, you want to fill in what Hugo did this week, actually? Won the, won the National Board of Review Best Picture. Wow. Yeah, which is quite good. <laughs> yeah. That that basically means that Hugo's probably going to be a Best Picture nominee this year. <laughs> it's, got a, it's got a good chance. Usually, the NBR doesn't always reflect the nomination, but it, 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 at the least, it gives it the the prestige behind it where it can put on its bulletin board, mm-hmm. you know, best pick winner, national board review. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Among the, yeah. Among the, there's many, many different like critics awards and actors awards and things going around. And that's, that's a big one to get for the best picture. So that's, that's, you should be happy for Hugo because yeah. anyone should be happy for Hugo because Hugo's very good and should be seen in theaters in 3d. So completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Arthur Christmas came behind that one. Uh, Happy Feet 2 is apparently still making money just barely uh, Jack and Jill and then The Descendants came in at 7 which is quite good for the amount of theaters that it's in right now it's, it's pulled in 18 million so far which uh, that's fairly high for a movie like this and, a movie, and that's being distributed the way that it is so yeah that's how that's rolling right now second precursor question to the awards section do you guys okay. think that there, that 10 best picture category nominees is too much well uh, they They've changed that this year. Are you, are you aware of what? No, uh, what I'm not. Doing? What do they? What do they do? <laughs> Explain this one. <laughs> well, re- you know, in the past they would have five best picture nominees, and recently they've switched to ten. Mm-hmm. But films like The Blind Side, I think, have put an asterisk next to the title of best picture nominee. So now they've gone with a new system, where anywhere between five and ten can be nominated, depending on the amount of number one votes oh. that the Academy places next to a film. Um, so you could have six, seven, eight, nine, ten, five. Okay. Uh, this is, and they're they're doing this, I think, to protect films like Inception and uh, The Dark Knight to make sure that those kind of films can still get in, but at the same time cutting down on, you know, films like The Blind Side. I think from where they're trying to stretch to fill in that quota of ten. I actually, I actually love the idea mm-hmm. of having it be flexible. Because every year there might there may be more than five that deserve it, but there may not be ten. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Given the movies, I'm I'm very curious as things are going to end. I guess we'll get to later on too. Um. Okay. So before we get to awards talk, though, let's do a little retro review for the Descendants. Were there any movies that you guys thought of while we were watching the Descendants, and you know, or even after the fact? And we'll start with Mark again. Uh, Maybe Terms of Endearment. Maybe, <laughs> might be this the the dealing with the you know, struggling of life changing of it. Cool, Abe. Um, everything must go um, with Will Ferrell, and mostly because he's this guy who has this wife problem, and it's very different performance, <clears throat> a different performance from the actor um, playing against type. Yeah. Yeah, and Will Ryder because of the the awesome. Ocean shots. Even though Whale Rider was based in New Zealand, um, I still liked the story. Yeah, I thought of um, about Schmidt, actually Alexander Payne, Jack Nicholson, and I thought of Alexander Payne's previous films. I thought about Schmidt and The Descendants were the most closely related in terms of having kind of 
Well, that movie about Schmidt had kind of Jack Nicholson playing against type in a way as well. He wasn't really playing a Nicholson character. He was playing a very different kind of character in the same way Clooney's playing a different kind of character. And it's also very much a it's very much a low key drama with comedic elements the same way. And so that was I've only I haven't seen that movie in quite some time actually. I think I only saw it when it was first released. But that's kind of a that's the movie I found be very comparable to The Descendants. I also thought of um, I was I was thinking of uh, I was trying to think of movies where Clooney's not playing particularly cool and i was trying to think i thought the american actually where he kind of he kind of is cool because he's an assassin but he's it's very it's a very quiet movie a very, a very quiet movie <laughs> to say guys, the least i guess about that movie. did you guys like the american i like it i don't love it okay <laughs> I'm one, of, one of the few i think that does love it. there are a lot of people that like loved it loved it like i don't like well they go to shoot high i know ebert like loved it like, yeah, i did Yeah. All right. Um, well, even though we're not doing games time this week, Abe, I think you might appreciate this. Anyway. I would really enjoy this. Yeah. What would you enjoy? Maybe some of this. You read my mind, Aaron. That's exactly what I was enjoying. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Well, that sound doesn't mean game time this week, though. It means that we're going to do a little bit of awards talk. And um, before we get into it, let's let uh, Mark. I'm going to have you explain what your site's all about again, just to you know clue people in a bit more. Yeah, sure. Um, it's awardcontenders.com. Uh, what what we do there mostly is you know, review films, present trailers and, and posters and things like that. But our, our main focus is around the award season, primarily Oscar. Um, if you go to the site, you'll see on the upper right hand side there's a whole grid of the categories for Oscar and all our predictions and even things that are maybe not on our predictions right now, but that are on our radar of uh, possible, possibly getting in. Great. And um, yeah, so the idea of this right now is we're going to, we're kind of going to go over each of the main, the big categories when it comes times for, you know, the big Oscar season, big award season and kind of run through what we think, I guess might our kind of predictions and where we're kind of feeling out of who is going to be nominated in some of these categories. And, uh, Let's start with Best Supporting Actor. Um, yeah, Mark, how about you kick off with, with this one here? Sure. Uh, pretty much ever since the late spring, Christopher Plummer has been out in front in this category uh, for his performance in Beginners, which we talked about earlier, about uh, it being a pretty baby role where he plays a, an aging, dying man who comes out of the closet to his son in his, in his late years. Um, so he, he's... I would call him a lock at this point. He's probably the only one I feel comfortable saying is a lock for a nomination right now. Uh, and probably the probably going to win. He's, he's never won an Oscar. In fact, he's only been nominated once. There's a few other strong contenders yet to be seen, at least with Max von Sydow, another one who's you know a legendary actor who's never won an Oscar. He plays a, a muted grandfather to the boy who loses his dad and extremely loud and incredibly close. Uh, he's another one I, I think that could give Plummer a run for his money. Uh, Albert Brooks for Drive. Uh, a lot of people were kind of not taking it so seriously because the movie maybe not an Oscar type uh, type of film, but he's been popping up already on a few precursor awards. He won the New York Film Critics uh, Best Supporting Actor Award, so uh, I think he, his his odds are growing as well. Those are probably the three favorites right now. I'd really I'd really like to see Albert Brooks get nominated for Drive. I think that would be awesome. 
I think that'd be a win for Drive as well, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, dri Drive be existing is a win for Drive right there, I think. So. That is true. <laughs> that, and that, that, yeah, that's probably the film's best shot at a nomination in these books. Yeah, uh, just to add a few things to that, I guess. I saw that, um, I believe, uh, Corey Stoll, who played Abel like this, Ernest uh, Hemingway in Midnight in Paris, he won some recognition for his... He's going to get... Only... Oh, wow, that, that'd be cool if he... That'd be... But... I was happy to see him, of all the people who are quite good in Midnight in Paris, I, I was quite happy to see him get some recognition for that role. So. Yeah. He was nominated for the uh, the Spirit Award. Yeah, the Spirit Award, right, yeah, yeah. I was, I was happy to see that happen. Mark, quick question. Um, underneath all your photos with the, the movie posters, there's a there's the text, and it says, Off the Radar. What do you mean by Off the Radar? Okay, those are that's, those are the performances or films that I feel, feel have kind of come and gone as far as its Oscar chances that maybe mm -hmm. early year we might have thought this would be a contender but we've seen it now and it's kind of we don't we don't feel it might have a chance anymore so just gotcha. super super eight was one that I think a lot of people thought could pull a you know like the inception type role of, of a nominee but you know since then kind of, as much as I like it, I, I don't think it's gotten much of a shot, shot at Oscar gotcha. so we kind, of those, we kind of put those on the next tier it's kind of off the off the radar Okay. Now, in uh, again, an actor for supporting role, I think I, th I, th I, th I still think Nick Nolte has a good shot here. I I, I wish Warrior was more popular when it that's, during yeah. his. I think that's the only thing holding it back. But I still think Nick Nolte is very good and is is kind of in that in that area where where he could where he could potentially pull off a nomination for best supporting actor. Yeah. Absolutely. This this is definitely one category where they usually tend to award either. You know, veteran actors or villains. It's uh, it, it seems to be where where the most or the two common mm -hmm. type performances you get nominated. So yeah, Nick Nolte is my first uh, actor on my radar right now. Um, I, I still have Brad Pitt for the Tree of Life. I'm one of the only people that has him in right now. I just he's kind of my upset dark horse kind of pick. Uh, just because the year he's having, I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he pulls off a double nomination for this in Moneyball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the Academy loves Tree of Life. If it, if it sneaks in that Best Picture nominee or nomination, then I would not be surprised if both Chastain and Pitt find spots in the sporting. I also think um, I think Ben Kingsley. I think he's. Ooh. I think he's very good in Hugo, and I in think Hugo. I think that, that this is such a crowded category. But I'd I really like to see him get nominated as well. There's so yeah. many good perform supporting performances this year, but I. There really are. There really are. There's a lot of good ones. But really, is not been anything that's blown me away yet. I'm kind of, mm -hmm. kind of hoping somebody. You, know, you have the guys from Margin Call too, with Spacey and Jeremy Irons. It's another uh, pair that could could sneak in. And there's a lot of talk behind Patton Oswalt for young adult as well. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to seeing that movie. So I'm looking forward to seeing how Patton Oswalt does. But uh, in terms of blowing me away, honestly, I still. If it goes with that, I think it's Albert Brooks and Drive. That's the one that really blows me away for supporting performance. Then, quite, then Chris, Christopher Plummer is very good, and then Kingsling Hugo again, and then Nick Nolte. Those are like that's that's where my mind is set right now in terms of like what in my dream world of where I'd like to see these supporting nominations go. Mine would be Pitt. That, that would be my if I if I had a vote and I can only pick one, I I really like Pitt for the Tree of Life. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on to Best Actress in a Supporting Role, and uh, Mark, how about you kind of lay out the the big ones right here? Okay, um, right yeah, right now it's it's kind of wide open. I think this category, my pick right now is Octavia Spencer uh, in front. 
I think The Help is going to be one of those films that gets at least a couple nominations since it's such a great ensemble film. Um, so Octavia Spencer, for me, I think, seems like a lock uh, at this point. Vanessa Redgrave for Coriolanus, uh, the, the Ray Fiennes-directed Shakespearean film. Uh, there's tons of raves behind her performance as well. And uh, then third right now for me would be Sh- Shailene Woodley. Is that how you say her name? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Or the she, Descendants. I, I think that's a, a type of performance the Oscar likes to recognize. That's kind of like that that Haley Steinfeld performance in True Grit. Yeah. Young girl who kind of has to take charge of her life in a, in, during a crisis. So I think I think those three could, could easily find their way in. Yeah. And... Um... I think a lot of this comes down to uh, which category will Jessica Chastain be nominated for since she's been in like eight different movies this yeah. year and has so many good performances. Right. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because the, the New York film critics, uh, cir- the New York film critics circle, named Jessica Chastain the best supporting actress this year, but they didn't they didn't really help her by singling out a film because I think that's where she's going to run into trouble is the vote splitting. You know, some people are going to like her for the Tree of Life. Some people are going to like her for the Help. Some for maybe Take Shelter. Well, the the New York Film Critics they gave her the award for all three performances rather than picking one. And I think uh, it might have helped her more if they would have just kind of narrowed things down to one. Yeah, singled out a, one performance for people to kind of start getting behind. I kind of like her chances for the Help more than the Tree of Life right now, just because, like I said, it's uh, it's one of those ensemble movies where. You know, at least one performance, I think, gets in, if not two or three. So I, right now I have her in my fifth spot for the help. So she's, she's also on my radar for Tree of Life. Now I also see in here that you have, um, on the radar, you have Melissa McCarthy for Bridesmaids. That's something I'm curious about, if that could happen. Yeah, honestly, I don't. I don't think it'll happen. I, don't, I, th- I think it's too... I mean, the, the girl takes a, a dump in the sink. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think she's great in it. I think she's hilarious. I think she's got Golden Globe written all over. For um, sure, yeah. You know, but I, I, there's just I have her kind of midway through my radars just because I don't want to leave her out at this point. But I, I wouldn't bet on it. It's such a crowded field. Uh, you know, I think Janet McTeer is the sleeper here for Albert Knopf. I don't know if if Melissa McCarthy could, could sneak her way in. She, I mean, you never know. But yeah, I I would think that's a long shot as well. But yeah, Golden Globe seems more <laughs> appropriate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I also see the artist is on here, Bernice, uh, Berenice Mejo. Right. And, uh, yeah, a lot of us are going to see the artist next week, and I'm really looking forward to it. But um, from the the response I'm seeing for it so far, it seems like that's going to be a pretty heavy hitter come time for the Oscars. So. Yeah, I think I think that's one of those films that's going to lead lead the field in nomination. Um, you know, I, I think uh, anywhere they'll be able to nominate it, I think they're going to do that. Let's move on to let's move on to best uh, original screenplay. But before we do that, I think um, Abe needs to to actually exit early on yeah, this episode. Yeah, I do, which is a bummer. But I gotta help out my folks and uh, back in town. So anyhow, um, I really look forward to hearing the rest of this come final cut time. So um, yeah, thanks, Mark and uh, Aaron. I'm pretty sure that you would be a great host solo for right now. And, I'll try. <laughs> And uh, I'll see you guys next week, guys. Yeah, great. Abe, how about you say uh, where people can find more of your work real quick? Sure, yeah. People can find more of my work at walrusmoose.blogspot.com, two animals, walrusmoose.blogspot.com, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. All right, Abe. I'll, uh, yeah, we'll talk later, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Bye, Mark. Bye. Bye.
Okay, along with Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris, the other film that I think has a strong chance in a nomination for original screenplay would be Michel Hazana Vicious's The Artist, which he uh, wrote and directed. Um, anytime you have, you know, The Artist right now is one of the favorites to win Best Picture, let alone be nominated. And any film that's going to win Best Picture will also find itself at least getting a nomination for screenplay. So I think The Artist and Midnight in Paris are your two most likely original screenplay candidates at this time. Um, I think Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life and Diablo Cody's Young Adult have a good chance as well. Diablo uh, Cody, probably, yeah. That seems... Yeah, she won for Juno a few years ago. Um, uh, my, my sleeper pick here would be Steve McQueen and Abby Morgan's uh, screenplay for Shame. I'm hoping that that... Uh, I don't know how many nominations that film can get, being that it's NC-17, but I'm hoping that they'll at least recognize it maybe in the screenplay here. That's a big curiosity right there of how much notoriety Shane will get, regardless of the rating that it has, if it will, like, if it will succeed through it. I think that's what that's what I would like to commend Fox Searchlight for doing, since yeah. they're, they're, like, they're really embracing the fact that it has the NC-17 opposed to you know trying to make them edit the movie or trying to... Right. trying to pl- trying to play up that they're just like no we're, we're gonna roll with it so I, yeah i'm curious to see how that pays off for them in the long run um that's probably a, that's probably a smart campaign at this point because i think i think the whole the whole point of the movie i think you lose a lot of the effect if they added too much out of it down to get it to an r uh because that's its theme of sex addiction so you know uh i think it's smart to leave it as is and use that like they are yeah for sure now there's a lot of I like a lot of these ones you have on the radar here. Well, <laughs> not yeah. J, not J. Edgar. Now I think I, I think I, that, I think that's gonna fall way down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, that was my original pick to win back when I first did these back in May. I, I had that uh, in the number one spot just because of you know Dustin Lance Black won the Oscar for Milk a few years ago, and, and it's a Clint Eastwood movie, so you'd think it'd be much better, but it didn't seem to turn out that way. When else? Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, Win Win that movie, that's a movie I really liked a lot, and. I think that that's a that's a that's a really strongly written film, so I think that'd be. Yeah, my along with shame, two of my sleepers that I'd like to see happen would be Tabani's Win Win and then Mike Mills' Beginners. Begin. That's another one that I think that I think that that would to me that seems like that would have a good shot just because of the right. nature of that movie and it's like an autobiographical drama. Like I think it. I think if there was a category for that movie to get into, I think I think I think this original screenplay seems like a. A good, a good likely one. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, that's one I'll be rooting for. I'm, I'm not sure if it can or not, but uh, I know recently he got a nomination from the Spirit Awards for screenplay, so mm-hmm. that, that, that works in its favor as well. Um, let's see. Uh, 50-50, that's another one that would be nice to see, I guess. Of course, it would be nice to see a lot of these because a lot of these are just really good movies. So. Rango. Uh, Rango. Rango, exactly. Yeah, see, there you go. That's that's hit yeah. me. That's hit me in the heart right there, <laughs> Rango screenplay. That'd yeah, I know be... You're a big fan of Rango, so that, yeah. that's never know. I mean, it's, it's definitely possible. And, uh, okay, let's move on to Best Adapted Screenplay. And, uh, yeah, I want you to run through some of these ones here. Yeah, I have to, I'm looking through these, and I, I think it's time to update this page. But uh, I think Warhorse is going to be a contender here. Yeah, yeah. It's another one of those uh, Oscar Beatty films, and it's got Spielberg, you know, his name behind it. Not the screenplay, but the film. Uh, so that's that's a strong shot. I think the Descendant screenplay. That it, seems like a definite lock for a nomination at this point. Feels like a lock. Yeah. Honestly, there's there's a lot there's a lot on adapted, and it usually is this way. I think where adapted is the is the the crowded category for screenplay. So there's there's a lot of contenders I like here. Um, Tate Taylor's The Help 
I think if that gets the amount of nominations I'm expecting it to and does well in the precursors, uh, I think he could get carried in for for the screenplay. Um, I, I think Moneyball, Steve Zalian and Aaron Sorkin's work, I think that's probably going to get recognized as well. Even if the film falls short of a Best Picture nom, I think I think its best chance, along with Brad Pitt, is probably the screenplay. Yeah, I agree with that. Steve Zalian could actually find himself nominated twice if The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo gets in there as well. I think yeah, I think that's that's one of the bigger mysteries of Oscar how well Girl with the Dragon Tattoo will be received simply because of how hardcore that movie's going to be. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of people wrote it off as an Oscar contender because of its dark theme and for the fact that uh, the Swedish version didn't get any. Uh, nominations last year. I think but that I, that has to do with because like those movies came out at such a weird time, where like they were released in Sweden like years earlier, like in in Europe years earlier, and then like kind of made their way to America one by one by one within the span of a couple months. Like yeah, and then uh yeah, that's that's why a lot of people I think are down on its Oscar chances. But I mean because of its, its dark theme. But I mean this is the same Academy that just a few years ago gave Best Picture wins to No Country for Old Men and The Departed. The Departed so, yeah. Sure. I mean. I wouldn't count it out just yet. I don't. It doesn't look like a Best Picture winner. No. But it doesn't mean it can't compete in a few categories. And I think Screenplay and Rooney Mara are probably uh, its strong points, just just by guessing, just by what I've seen in the trailers and whatnot. Since nobody actually just, that film just screened to a few to a few writers. Uh, it's under embargo right now, but that that film just screened. I think the only one left to be seen is Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Uh, which I also have in my five for now. But this is a this is a credit category. John Logan's Hugo. I'd love to see you know after seeing that, I'd love to see that get a get a nomination. And, and I like to see I like to see John Logan get nominated for both Rango and Original and adapted right. in, right. in uh, exactly. Hugo. That'd be that'd be awesome for John Logan. Right, and it's possible he could he could find himself being a double winner. You never know. Yeah. Uh, George Clooney and his team, uh, Grant Heslov and Bill Willman uh, for the Ides of March. That's another one that. Could play sleeper here. Those are the main ones right now. The, the Tinker Taylor screenplay, that's another one that's possible. But, but yeah, finding a winner in this group right now is kind of hard because I think, I don't know, I think I think the most likely to get nominated is probably the defendant. Yeah, that seems. That I, th- I think Warhorse is probably a good lock. Warhorse, even extremely loud and incredibly close, just because of the nature of that movie and the way I think it's going to be received. Although right. could, maybe that will completely backfire. Who, know, who knows actually. So I guess we'll see. A lot of these, there's, there's more than five that you can almost look at and go, God, that feels like a lock. It's like Moneyball feels like a lock to me. I have that in my five spot. So, yeah. Moneyball. That seems like a film that needs to, I think it needs to like pick up more steam again, just because it came out so early in September. So it seems like if it's going to have like another like limited theatrical run or something, maybe that will kind of push its momentum back up a bit. But, Sure, and, and the precursors always help. Like it, Moneyball just won screenplay from the New York Film Critics, and uh, Pitt won Best Actor for Moneyball and Tree of Life combined. So mm-hmm. that helps. That helps the chances for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to the the actor category, the leading actor categories now, and let's start with actor. A lead actor. Recently, I've had to make a change because, like I said, I had uh, Dustin Lance Black's screenplay as the favorite for Milk back with my initial predictions. I also had Leonardo DiCaprio as the favorite to win actor as my as my original pick. And I think he was great, and I still think he can get nominated for the film. He might end up being, you know, along with him and maybe Makeup might be the only two nominations that film gets at this point. Um, or the Academy might embrace it. You know, we have to wait and see, I guess. But uh, I still think Leo can get it. I think, he's, I think he's good for a nomination. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, right now, I, I have uh, 
again, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but Jean Dujardin, maybe? Yeah, for the lead, the lead actor and the artist, yes. Right. Yeah, I think uh, I think with what he's going to have to do with with the silent film of the artist, I think the acting there is going to be, I think it's going to going to be something that's going to win a lot of people over. So uh, right now I have him as the as the front runner. Clooney for The Descendants I think is a lock for a nomination. Yes. Yeah. Brad Pitt, even though originally I I kind of was I liked his performance, I just didn't really know if I if the Academy would if it would be an Oscar worthy. Uh, on my first viewing of Moneyball, but after seeing it again, I think uh, I think he's looking more and more like a lock as well. Without seeing the film, the one that I'm rooting for the most is probably Michael Fassbender for Shame. Uh, I have him in my fifth spot, just more of a maybe wishful thinking than anything else at this point. But if it, if he's as good as everyone says, I, I think he could find himself in. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of good performances here on the radar, even with Woody Harrelson and Rampart. He's getting raving reviews. For his performance, and, and yeah, the best best actor category tends there's tends to be like the one kind of out there like choice where they just kind of there's yeah. kind of one you didn't really see coming. So yeah, there's right. Last year it was uh, maybe Javier Bardem for Beautiful. He was kind of the yeah yeah surprise. Yeah, there's usually that the one that comes out nowhere. That might be Woody Harrelson this year, or well, maybe yes. even Michael Shannon for Take Shelter. Yeah, it's in a perfect world, and I think I've gone over this before, but Michael Shannon and Take Shelter is my regardless of how good. Other, how much better other movies have been, and how, oh, how good the movie, the movie Take Shelter is. I think Michael Shannon's performance in Take Shelter is like the best one I've seen this year. So um, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to argue that. He's he's very good in that movie. So I'd, I'd love to see recognition for that role. But um, let's see, like Ryan Gosling in Drive, that'd be interesting. It's it'd be interesting <laughs> to know if like if more people recognize that as great acting or more just great silence. It'd be. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. I, I I'm I'm curious even which one of the Ryan Gosling films they would go with between Drive and The Eyes of March. The Eyes of March feels like the more Oscar typical performance, uh, but I think he's better in Drive. I yeah I agree. I think and I, I like Ryan Gosling in The Eyes of March, but I actually think he was the weakest performance in The Eyes of March among the the yeah. others in there. So sure. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think is the yeah, for sure. And yeah, actually, I don't think we harped on him in supporting actor, but that'd be another that'd be another interesting choice if he made it in there for supporting actor. Yeah, absolutely. He, and then don't, I would definitely not count him out. He's on my radar. He, he's definitely somebody the Academy loves and, and deservedly so. He's one of the for sure. Actors. I'd love to see Gary Goldman get nominated for an Oscar too for lead actor and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, just because I love Gary Oldman and like I, he's an actor who. Has he has, has he been nominated before for acting? I don't I don't believe Oldman has a nomination yet on his career. Um, that up right now, yeah. <laughs> no, he was he's been nominated for an Emmy, I think, but no no Oscar nomination. Yeah, so that's he's another actor who uh, who is just like one of those where like, huh, he hasn't been he hasn't won anything. He's like him and like like Ed Harris Ed, Ed Harris has been nominated for Oscars before. He hasn't won anything. It's kind of that thing where it's like, huh, that'd be nice. <laughs> Absolutely, and I, I I think there's a very good chance he could. For a while, I had him in my five, but I. Was, Replaced, he was who I replaced when I put Brad Pitt back in. Uh, a couple months, a month ago or so, I, I pulled Oldman out and put Pitt in. Um, cool. Yeah, that's that's actor. So yeah, there's also uh, I did have you did you see the movie A Better Life? Yes, I did. I did not see that movie. I think it's out now for for rent yeah. and own. But uh, did you? Because I know the lead actor from that one, Damien yep. Bashir. He I believe he's he got quite a lot of uh, praise for his performance in that film. Yeah, he's on my radar as well there uh, for a better life. I, I wasn't really a big fan of the film too much. It was okay, but his performance was pretty outstanding. It was, it was a pretty heartbreaking performance. But um, if he was a bigger name, I think he'd have a better shot. 
but uh, there's just so many big names right now with Pitt and Clooney and DiCaprio, you know, and then Fassbender being the up and coming name that he is. And I just don't know that he can find his way in, but that might be, like you said, that might be this year's Javier Bardem. Yeah, so uh, who knows? Yeah. Right. All right, so let's move on to Best Actress now, and uh, why don't you lay out the ones we have here? Wow, this this category, you could take the actresses six through six through ten on my list and plug them into the five, and I think you'd still have a pretty nice looking field. This 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 field, I think, of, of any field this year for Oscar is going to be the most exciting to watch uh, come to fruition. I think uh, Viola Davis. Is, is an absolute lock to the help. I think if she's not in there, it would be a big mess. Um, I, I, right now, I, right now, I have her winning. I think one of the, I think is one of the concerns of whether she'd be nominated for best actress or best supporting actress. Is that one of the, was that one of the concerns early on? Or? Yeah, early on it was, but they have since announced that she will be lead. Okay. For the film, which did, I think deservedly so. She she starts the movie, she ends the movie, she narrates the movie. Uh, I think she's kind of a co-lead with Emma Stone, but I think she's you know, the heart and soul of the film. So um, I think she's locked to be nominated. And I, like I said, I think right now she's the favorite to win. Uh, if she does win, she'd be only the second African-American to win lead actress in the, at that point, 84 years of Oscar. So I think, it's, uh, like, like I said before, I have Octavia Spencer nominated or predicted to win as well for supporting. So if the pair won, it would be a pretty historical moment for the show. So, um, along with Davis, ironically, is Meryl Streep, who when she, I believe it was the SAG that she won for Doubt, uh, Davis was her co-star on that film. And at the time, I, uh, I remember her, uh, you know, clamoring for someone to give Viola Davis a movie. And now it might come down to, you know, Streep versus Davis for Best Actress. Street plays Margaret Thatcher in The Iron Lady. Um, and it's Streep, so there you yeah. go. <laughs> so there's, there's no way you should be counting her out for either the nomination or the win. Those are probably the two that'll duke it out to the end. Uh, Michelle Williams, actually, I just saw this this weekend. Uh, my week with Marilyn, Michelle Williams plays Marilyn Monroe, and she's just absolutely incredible, I thought, as uh, portraying the, the blonde bombshell. She's, uh, she's pretty fantastic. So I like her odds a lot as well. Then there's Glenn Close for uh, Albert Nobbs. She's never won. She was nominated five times in the 80s and then just kind of fell off the uh, the Oscar radar at that point till now. The, the movie, from the people that have seen it, it hasn't gone over too well for the film itself, but the performance has, has been, you know, her, between her and Janet McTeer, those are the two highlights of the film uh, from everything I've read. So she, I think she's on the, uh, on the edge right now. I think... Uh, She's going to need a lot of precursor attention, I think, to keep her afloat in this. Um, I think uh, Rooney Mara, she's been the one. I've, I've had her in there for the last couple of months. She was my sleeper early on. Um, now, with people having seen the film, there's a lot of people saying that she's probably going to be a lock as well. It just seems like the type of uh, role that Oscar would eat up, the same way that you know Charlize Theron, when she won for Monster, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe even uh, Holly Berry for Monster Ball, when when, when you make that kind of transformative change from the pretty girl from the social network to Elizabeth Salander, the, the computer hacking, mohawk wearing uh, role in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I think I think that's going to draw a lot of attention to it. And she's, I mean, I don't know if you saw the sweetest version, but you know what. Uh, yeah, is. I have, yeah. Yeah, so you, you know what, 
range she's going to have to take to to complete that role. And, and from the looks of it, she looks like she's just absolutely awesome in the trailer. So. Yeah, and then now below we also have Elizabeth Olsen for Martha Marcy May Marlene. That's well, a that'd be one I'd be interested to see if that happens. That's for sure. Yeah, I have a, I have a feeling that one spot will will go to either Mara or Olsen. For a while, I thought maybe Felicity Jones for like crazy, but after seeing it, I I would lean more toward Olsen and Mara probably having the better shot. But I, I, they usually have that that one or two spots reserved for the pretty young girl. Um, it's just kind of how Oscar works. So I would definitely not be surprised with Olsen. I think uh, what's interesting is Tilda Swinton. That's what I was going to mention. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, she's been gaining steam through the award season as well as of late for her performance. And we need to talk about Kevin. Um, did she win? I think she won the the NBR for actress. Yes, I believe. Yeah, I believe you're correct. Yes. Yeah, and I think actually she also won the European Film Award for Best Actress just yesterday, and then today they have the British Independent Film Awards going on. So I'm curious to see if that was happening while we were doing this broadcast. So I'm going to be curious to see if she won that as well. Uh, if so, that'd be three big award wins in one week that could really push her back into the forefront here. So Yeah, a lot of, a lot of good... Um, oh, Kirsten Dunst for Melancholia, too. That's another... Right. That'd be, an, that'd be an interesting one to see if that happened. Yeah, that's like I said, you can look at six through ten and make up a great look, uh, great looking list. Olivia Coleman for Tyrannosaurus. Especially. Yeah, that was another one that I've heard a lot. Yeah, awesome. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's really quite a few. Karen Knightley in A Dangerous Method. Uh, Ellen Barkin in Another Happy Day. That that movie might just be too small. Uh, I'm not too, I'm not sure too many people will get to see that. Michelle Yao in The Ladies, uh, or Yo, I think it's Michelle Yao. Yo, yeah, yeah. Two, of course, I love *The Crouching Tiger* and *Dragon*, one of my favorite foreign language films of all time. So yeah, and there's there's just a lot, a lot of uh, talented actresses with big roles. And continuing the trend of lots and lots of talent, let's move on to the best director category, where okay. there is a ton of choices here as well. <laughs> yeah, when you have names like Steven Spielberg and Woody Allen and Martin Scorsese, and there's just there's just a lot of say Terrence Malick. I mean, there's there's just so many big names. Uh, here, it'll be interesting to see which ones don't make it and which ones do get in. Uh, right now, I have Havana Vicious for the artist um, out in front with you know Alexander Payne and Steven Spielberg. I think those three feel like the safest picks right now. <clears throat> I think uh, Woody Allen for Midnight in Paris is a possibility, along with Stephen Daldry for Extreme Lab and Credit Post. They, they seem to love Daldry. He's been nominated a few times already for he was nominated for Billy Elliot, I believe, right? Yeah, Billy Elliot. I think The Hours and... Uh, yeah, The Hours. And The Reader, I think, was the other one? Yeah, the, yes, The Reader. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they, they, they seem to love him. And that, let's, look, let's look at it this way. When looking at Best Director, you, you pretty much, if your film's going to win Best Picture, you have to, at the very least, be nominated for Director. I think only twice did it happen where the Director wasn't nominated when the picture won. I know uh, Driving Miss Daisy one best picture without the director being nominated. I can't remember the other, but I think it's only happened twice. There is one where, like, because I, I know, I remember United 93 was nominated for best director, but not best picture. So whatever the movie that was replacing. Right. Yeah, that, that happens. A lot of times it happens where, you know, a, the, the lone director will get in there without his film. Um, but to win best picture, you usually have screenplay, director, and editing are the three that come with it if you're going to win. 
that's, that's usually a good way to decode what has a really good chance to win Best Picture. You'll see that it's also nominated for director, screenplay, and editor. Uh, but yeah, there's, like I said, a lot of big names. Uh, with, you know, Scorsese for Hugo, he's, he's climbing the ranks too now after that MDR win for picture and director. I think he's got to be taken more seriously. And God, if there's anyone deserving this year, I mean, what he did. Yeah, honestly, uh, Hugo, Hugo, Scorsese falls into that, like, James, almost that James Cameron category for me, where, like, he did a lot for, for right. cinema. And it's such a, it'd be such an appropriate choice just because of the subject matter of that film, where he's literally tackling the origins of cinema by using the latest technology to make to properly represent those origins by using the, the most futuristic versions of the, of that format. Right. So it'd be, I would, I would love to see Martin Scorsese be nominated for Hugo. I think, I think he's, it's such a, it's such a great technical achievement, that movie, as well as being just a, you know, a solid whimsical story that's being told. So. Right. And so many times you'll see an actor get nominated for playing a role that they're not used to being seen in. Um, I would think it should work the same way for director too. I mean, yeah, very to- much so. Yeah crime drama from Martin Scorsese, and here he is a, a more family-oriented film. You know, I wouldn't call it a kid's movie, but it's you know more family-oriented, uh, you know, a passion project here for with Hugo. So, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll, right, as of right now, that's who I would be cheering for to not only get in, but to, to win. I think he, he deserves it as much as anybody other than maybe Terrence Malick for The Tree of Life. Those two... That's one that I'd like to see get nominated just because of... Yeah. The, again, the technical craft in that move, just the way the—I mean, that's that seems like a cinematography lock right there. Where oh. I, I don't want to—I don't want to get into more of the technical awards, but yeah, that's that's so, yeah. yeah. I think his name's Emmanuel Lebesti. Yes, I have I have him right now as the favorite to win that. That is like like in my review, I mentioned how that Tree of Life is a cinematography dream. Yes, it is just beautifully shot. So. Um, I think you'll. I think the Tree of Life will probably get a couple tech nominations. Whether how it fares in the, in the bigger categories like screenplay, director, and picture uh, remains to be seen. How they how they accept it since it's such a film that you, know, you either seem to love or be bored to death by. So. Yeah, which is the same, I guess. Unfortunately, so I would say for Martha Marcy May Marlene, where I think that movie can pick up some technical nods. But right. you have you have it as an off the radar for the director, but like I I really and I really like the filmmaking present in that movie. Right. I think like editing is an is like a fan, it'd be a fantastic category for that movie to fall into. Like, and my my off the radar section doesn't mean that I don't think it should get in. It just means that yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's probably it doesn't have enough kind of regard in that category to be kind of picking up steam for a nomination. Yeah. There's just so much. There's so many big names and so much competition. I, I just don't see it being something that it could have much of a shot at. When you're when you're looking at it like 17th, 18th down the line or whatever it would be, you know, a lot of things would have to happen. And, and being that it's such a small film too, I, I for sure, yes, yeah. Or, you know that that'll do well with the Spirit Awards and things. You know the independent smaller awards and critics list things like that. Because I agree, I think his direction that was awesome. The way they were cut from the cabin to the present day and whatnot so, yeah i mean even even if you look at a couple of the names on my off the radar session you have roman polanski clint eastwood jeff nichols pedro Almodovar. honestly the, like the most uh the the i'd be most annoyed if clint eastwood got a best director nomination just because that would just prove how loyal the oscars are to clint eastwood even though his movie's not even that good this year yeah no i i, I don't think i mean it'll, it'll be interesting with jay edgar but i mean they haven't they didn't recognize hereafter uh, yeah, hereafter. Invictus got a little bit of yeah. attention. I think uh, Matt Damon was nominated for supporting for that. I think, or maybe was it Freeman? I think it was. Freeman. They, they were both. Freeman got a lead actor. Matt Damon got a supporting actor. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, that's yeah. A, actually, you mentioned uh, Pedro Almodovar for the skin I live in. That's another one where, like, I don't expect that to make much rounds, like, but um, right. maybe it's like foreign film. But um, it, that, I think that movie is another, that's another, it's a very well-made movie again. So I'd love to see that pick up things just for that regard. So Yeah, it was ruled, uh, or it was it was not selected by the country for foreign. Oh, really? Not, oh. Yeah, it's out of the running for that. What, uh, is it Spanish? It's Spanish, yes. It's from Spain, yeah. Here, give me a second. I'll tell you what uh, I got the nomination. I have it on my radar. Something else was chosen by by Spain too. Oh, it's uh Panegre, which means Blackbeard. Was Spain's official. Okay. Choice. All right. Let's um let's move into the last one then. We got um best picture nominee. <laughs> so um we pretty much kind of covered this with directors and screenplay, but we can kind of continue with this trend. What do you? Where are the yeah. and just, yeah, we have the kind of the loose ten picks yeah. opposed to completely 10 picks so yeah this is this will be an interesting year uh right out right out of the gate it feels more wide open than the last three or four years have felt um, yeah there's no surefire winner right right, right it seems the last couple of years we knew you know at least very very early on we knew it'd be between the social network and king's speech uh-huh. um but this year just even though the, the, the hunch tells you the artist is out front as the favorite it, it feels like the type of film that needs to sneak in there. And I think by being the favorite this early kind of hurts its chances. Very much so, yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting to watch how what might have been the favorite to win now is the favorite to win, and because that is no longer the favorite to win. Um, you know, I, I still think Spielberg's Warhorse is going to be a big, you know, Beatty film with dramatic elements, a tear-jerker factor, and... Uh, I think Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close is another one like that. I think those are the two that are, without even without having seen them, it seems like those are the ones that you know have the competition around them, centered around them right now. War Horse and Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Yeah. What I what I wouldn't what I wouldn't be surprised ha- happen have happened is that the artist jumps out in front early, and then you see a swell through War Horse and maybe Extremely Loud, and then by the time the guilds come, that it all comes right back to the artist. I have a feeling you might see a little backlash in the middle and then it come right back around. But that, it's too early, really, to say the favorite to win, I, I think. Um, now, is the artist considered a foreign film? It's No. It, well, it wasn't It wasn't nominated. What is it? It's French, I assume? It's French, yeah. Well, it's made, it's made by a French director with French actors and actresses, but it also has American actors and actresses in it. But it's a silent movie also, so it's not even a language. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, I would, I would bet it didn't even qualify for foreign language because there is no language. And if anything, I would assume the the, sub, the subtitles are in English, right? Yes, yeah. So, yeah, I think French's film was La Police or something like that. Like, oh, no, the Declaration of War was French's selection. So I, France's selection. So I, I, my guess would be that it wasn't eligible just because there is a silent film. But it'll be it'll be curious to see. We haven't had a silent film win Best Picture since the very first Best Picture winner wings. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see interesting to see how it's embraced. Yeah. Besides those movies, you got The Descendants, which it seems like again similar to The Artist almost. It has it seems like it has a lot of momentum right now. But so be curious to see how far that takes the move the movie. A lot of people think that's that that could win. I I, I loved it. You know, like I said, I gave it the IMAX. Yeah. Great. Um, I liked it a lot. It feels like an absolute lock for a best picture, like something they would eat up as a nominee. I just don't see it as a winner, but I, you know, I might be wrong. I just I think there's going to be other things that come and take over. Um, you know, and then there's a there's a quite a few films on the cusp. 
and I, even, I, I updated these last about three weeks ago, so I'm due for another update. I had Hugo, though, in my 10 spot before it, uh, before I saw it. And now it seems more likely. If anything. Now, yeah. When I redo these, it'll probably climb up to my maybe six or seven spot. You know, so the Eyes of March, I don't think you can count out yet. Dave Carter, actually, from Entertainment Weekly, when he first saw it, said that that was the first lock of the year. I don't know that it's a lock, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's, you know, it has that baby feel to it as well, the political themes. It's got George Clooney behind it, Ryan Gosling, who along with maybe Fassbender is the man of the year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and then, of course, Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris. Will the Dragon Tattoo, like we talked about, it'll be interesting to see if they go for the darker theme. And then, of course, you have, you have the big one maybe to talk about here would be Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Yeah, that's an interesting one, just because of if it will go like the Lord of the Rings route, where kind of maybe right. the, the, the entire achievement of that series in general will kind of overwhelm the Oscars enough to be like, well, we should recognize this last movie as a regards to all of the movies that they managed to make. And I, I can definitely see that happening as far as a nomination is concerned. I don't by any means think that it's going to pull off what Lord of the Rings did as far as wins, let alone 11, you know, to tie the record. For sure. But I definitely, I can definitely see it sneaking in and uh, getting nominated as a way of recognizing the whole series. A lot of people, you know, a generation of kids grew up on those books and films, so I wouldn't be too surprised. A couple of these that I have on my radar, I'd probably drop off my radar now. Like uh, I just saw my week with Marilyn and, and Jay Edgar. I, well, I, I'd be hesitant to drop Jay Edgar off yet, but my week with Marilyn, I think uh, I don't see that being the best picture nominee. No. Yeah. Shame, you know, that's another one. Will again? Will they go for the NC-17? Will they have the, the balls to do it? I mean, the Academy gave Midnight Cowboy a best picture win when it was uh, X-rated. X-rated and uh, Clockwork Orange I believe was nominated as well. Right, yeah, 1971, right. Yeah, so I mean it's, it's possible if it's good enough. There's a lot of uh, question marks with stuff like that, but uh, I think The Artist, The Descendants, Warhorse, and The Health, at this point those would be the four I feel safe in saying would probably be the best picture nominated. I feel pretty good toward Extremely Loud, but again, nobody's seen it. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of coming late, later in the game, so it's hard to tell right now, but that's the magic of buzz. <laughs> so. right. so the precursors will be they will definitely be big to pay attention to, but especially the guilds. Uh, we saw last year how all the critics awards went to the social network, but as soon as the guilds started going off, you know everything tipped in favor of King's Speech, which then ended up winning. And the big the big reason for that is critics don't vote for Oscar, but there are members of the guilds that do. So it's it's always important to pay attention to the to the guild awards as to what's going on. All right, so um, yeah, we've I think we've covered this pretty sufficiently now, and I do need to get going pretty soon actually. So let's uh, all right, wrap it up. Wrap that, yeah, I'm wrapping it up right now. Let's do it. Let's um, talk about uh next week. Next week, I'll just uh, we're we're gonna I think we're gonna talk about the artist with uh, some of the other our other frequent guests on this show, just because a lot of us will have seen it by then, and we'll really want to see the artist, and probably bodes a lot of discussion talk that I'm excited to get into. So. That's our plan. Box office, once again, there's nothing really to predict next week. The Sitter is the only thing that comes out, I believe. In, oh, no, wait. New Year's Eve comes out next week, so that, that'll make money. <laughs> Whatever. Um, Abe's not here, so I can't make fun of him for guessing wild box office guesses. So I guess I'll just have to forgo the box office game this week. But if I had to guess, I'll say New Year's Eve comes in at first place of like $25 million. There. I've done it. Sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so... Um, 
yeah, basically that's going to do it this week for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work at my personal blog site, thecodeiszeke.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews, as well as at whysoblue.com, where you can find my reviews there, plus Blu-ray reviews and other reviews and good articles from the guys that are writing over at that site. You can also find me at Twitter at twitter.com slash Aaron's PS3. Uh, Mark? Um, I do all my, my writing at awardcontenders.com, and you can find me at Twitter uh, under the same name, Award Contenders. I'm not sure how all that Twitter backslash goes, but <laughs> it's award contenders there as well. So Great. And, uh, yeah, music for this podcast will be provided by the Descendants soundtrack and because uh, it's nice and relaxing. And, uh, yeah, make sure to check out other – other, <laughs> make sure to check out our other shows on the uh, HHWLOD podcast network. You can also find us on iTunes. And, oh, yeah, HHWLOD.com, which has all of our episodes there, plus a lot of other cool shows from the guys that like to talk about games and comics and movies and stuff. You can also find some of our episodes at outnow.podomatic.com, where you can find the most recent episodes along with a few bonus ones. And uh, you can email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to like our page at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. We, uh, as I noted at the beginning of the episode, we did have a contest which had winners who are going to receive awesome prizes simply because they liked our page and were able to participate in a very easy contest. So if you want more fun stuff like that, feel free to like the page. And, uh, yeah, that's going to be it for now. So, uh, Mark, thanks again for coming on and, you know, talking the awards talk and the descendants. That was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. And until next time, goodbye, guys.